But it's one thing about this area, man, and you can totally agree with me on this. We're just freaking spoiled with how many yeah. badass, like, freaking artists and bands we got, man. It's yeah. I always tell my friends from Connecticut, like, dude, if I just show, I can give you 50 bands and, like, 50 musical acts that I know here that will blow your freaking mind. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. For this episode, Rob DeGay tells the story of his progression in radio and music journalism from school papers to national magazines. Uh, He also shares what his experience was being the alternative rock director at Rhode Island College in the early 2000s, and why he started booking shows under the name Top 5 Fiend. Um, You also want to make sure to tune into this interview to hear me ask Rob a question about how to ask questions in an interview. Uh, which is some pretty meta shit right there, if you ask me. And, like I always do, I'll be posting some photos of show flyers and more from Rob's time in the Rhode Island music scene uh, over on my Facebook and Instagram pages, so uh, make sure to give a follow over there uh, to see what pops up. I grew up in Shetland, Connecticut. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's where I spent my adolescence, my first 18 years of my life, for the most part. Yeah. Um, Anyways, growing up in Shelton um, was an interesting time um, in the sense where, like, I come from a family of teachers. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, my grandfather was, like, the first, like, vice principal of my high school back mm-hmm. when, back, back in, like, the 40s or, like, the 50s when he moved here from Pennsylvania, when he moved to Connecticut from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother, and he also taught, he also taught math. My grandmother was an art teacher. And back in the day, what she would do, she was an art teacher for the entire school system. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. my dad, he was a tech ed teacher um, at a few places. My mom was a typing teacher at my middle school, and she was also a, a business a business technology teacher at my middle school. Um, yeah. And so growing up in that environment, like I, like I, I, I had teachers that taught me that either my grandpa taught them, my mom taught them, or they knew or my grandpa hired them. Um, when he was vice principal or my, they knew my mom cause she was the vice president of the teachers union. But like, it was really interesting going to like in a school where like every teacher knew who I was. Yeah. Okay. And, and then there, there were opportunities for me to get sp- different privileges that other kids couldn't get. And I turned those down cause I didn't want to be hassled by kids telling me, Oh, he's a teacher's son. So he's going to go to Because some yeah. kids thought that and it was unfair yeah. and I, you know, I want to be able to earn my own way. Um, yeah. And so, but it was really, it was really weird with that, like life growing up in Shelton and like I graduated high school and like I had kids like chanting my name at graduation. Like it was a really interesting time in Shelton, like growing up in that time. Okay. Um, what was your connection to, to music at like in, I, at that time or were you like writing or like, like well, it like it's an kind of academic fun. household it seems like, you know? Well, it's kind of, well, it's kind of funny because my mom, my dad always listened to music at home. Mm-hmm. My mom was a big Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan. My mm-hmm. dad was a big 70s rock fan. He had a big record collection. Oh, okay. Like Boston to, like, the Kingsmen to, like, Black Sabbath. And yeah. my mom liked James Taylor, and she liked Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. 
She like bought mm-hmm. some Bob Dylan. She liked some. She liked even like some Celine Dion and stuff like that. But like we always had music hap- being played in the house or like in the car. Yeah. We'd always listen on the radio or whatever. So that was like my first introduction to it. I got into music. My first th- thing that got me really, really into music was watching like VH1s behind the music and yeah, like, doing, okay. like their, and doing like their music countdowns from like different like like when they talk about like music like like the top 250 hard rock song hard rock bands of all time and yep. like and you, talk, you go to like bands from like mc5 to like led zeppelin to like all these bands you didn't hear about and i was able to like learn like about all these different bands i didn't know about that's how i know about like bands like husker do and dinosaur jr through these lists of these shows mm-hmm. that they were happening on vh1 and tv um so that's how i got into it at the same time i was a big sports fan that was mostly because of my grandpa. My grandpa was a big baseball fan. He was really into sports. He was a, he, my grandpa was an umpire in my hometown. Oh, okay, um, cool. During the summertime, and he also did the uh, the he also did the, the the clock, the scoreboard for the uh, for like the or the park and rec games in my hometown during the wintertime for basketball. Mm-hmm. So like I always had like that common medium. Um, like the first time I ever wrote and got published was for my high school paper in my senior year of high school. Debbie Stolovato, um, who I will always will credit to be the lady that taught me how to write. Uh, she was a journalism teacher at my high school, and that was the only like meet creative medium outlet that my high school had. We didn't have like a radio station, we didn't have a TV station, we had a news. Oh, gotcha. And so I, one, I was interested in, I was interested in it, and I lo- and it was a, it was a fun final year to close out my senior year of high school, being part of the newspaper, and I was, um, I, I wrote a sports column. That's what I did. Oh, okay. Um, and like so, for the, the uh, for the high school. Yeah, for the high school paper. Yeah, for every nice. edition, and we had like we had like we put put out like like one edition every two months, something like that, mm-hmm. during the school year. Um, and it was wasn't like your typical like newsletter paper. We had we're, we had like a legit newspaper looking newspaper that won award state awards and all this stuff. Oh, we were great. like that Gale called Gale wins. It was a pretty big deal. Um, and so um. And so that's how I first got into journalism through that. Um, and I've always wanted to be involved in radio. And so, like, I so I was at like, like whenever you're 18, like everybody goes through this when you're in high school. When you're 18, you're trying to figure out where you want to go to college, and mm-hmm. it's a really big choice in your life. Um, it's a choice that changed my life. And so I was always like, I was. I remember like going, going. I go, I applied to Central Connecticut State University in New in New Britain, Connecticut. And, but I was always thinking, I was like, man, I would love to get out of Connecticut, but I don't want to be too far from my family, but I would love to get out of Connecticut. And it's like, mm-hmm. where, where, I was like, I was like, where would I want to go? And I'm at the Career Center, and they used to always have, like, this big wall of college brochures. Yeah. So my dad went to Rick. My dad went to Rhode Island College. I have a lot of family that went to Rhode Island College, still go to Rhode Island College, or even work at Rhode Island College. Oh, so I got that, that, Yeah, yeah. So that always, like, stuck in my mind. And so, um, and so I figured, like, I – uh. I figured I was like, you know what? Screw it. Well, my dad went to Rhode Island College. I might as well apply. And I always knew about Providence because my fa- I have family around the state. As I said, I got roots. Yeah, in so South you come County. up and visit and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have roots in South County. My cousin's own beach house is right by Narragansett, right by Scarborough Beach in Narragansett. It's one of the oldest properties on the beach. So okay. for an annual Fourth of July cookout. So I've been I I spent numerous summers in Rhode Island before even yeah. coming. But I really fell in love with the arts and the culture of the city. And how there was a lot of stuff to do for young people. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. like you had to wait till you're 21 to go out and like see a show or see yeah. an art gallery showing. Like there was like something about Rhode Island that has like all ages events that Connecticut just doesn't have. Um, and like Ace 20 played a big part in that. And this music venues being being able to be all ages or 18 plus mm-hmm. played, played a big part in me enjoying the city and also making really great friendships that I still have to this day from college. Yeah. Um, and so, so what that, did you uh, come to study at? at- Rick, was it journalism or? Communications. 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 Yeah, okay. 
So then I joined the radio station. That was like a big goal of mine. My first semester was like, I got to join the radio station. Like I got to find some way to get in there and join the radio station. So I met this guy named Kevin, um, who actually was a former Kevin, uh, Andrade, who's actually a former reporter at the province journal. And he like, he, we, me and him, like we were living in the same dorm together. And he told me, Oh yeah, I have a radio show at the station. You want to be my co-host? He ended up, he, we, we ended up doing like a blues rock show together. And then he would like pick all the music, but people liked me on the radio, what I had to say and what my personality was like. And so um, he ended up having to leave the station and I just took over the slot. Um, wow. And yeah, I just took over the slot. So I kind of fit in right there. And the, and like people were like, Hey, Rob, let's keep that slot. Like, why don't you just, just do a show? Like have some fun. I was like, all right. Yeah. And so, and so I did end up doing a show there called kicking out the jams where it was like a rock show, like an indie rock show. And by the time January 2008 rolled around, I became the alternative rock director for 90.7 WXIN, the college radio station at Rhode Island College. And mm-hmm. that's when, and that's when I really got involved with the local music scene. Um, first off, I'm, I'm going from like being a sports writer to doing a music radio show, I made that transition because for a lot of college radio stations, 90.7 WXIN's like only like legit FM signal is campus wide. You can get it in some parts of the state, but like for like a legit signal. Like you can you can hear it best only when you're on campus, and we were also okay. one of the first stations to have an internet feed. But at the t- but the time, like this, like mid two thousands, where like it wasn't like internet radio wasn't as hip as it is now. So yeah. like yeah, so like it was hard to really like people like people have people sit in front of the computers, press the play <laughs> button, and listen to somebody else for like two hours. Yeah, yeah. And so and so like I figured that when I figured that out, I was like, okay, I don't want to be a guy that talks to himself about sports for two hours with nobody. <laughs> So I figured, like, but I like music, so I might as well do a music show and have some fun with it. Yeah. And then, then fast forward from starting that idea to becoming the alternative rock director, um, one of my one of the responsibilities I had as the alternative rock director was to book 90.7 WXIN's Battle of the Bands, um, our mm-hmm. rock con, right? And, you know, alluding to the title of this podcast, the first time I ever put the show in my life was the old living room on Brathbone Street in Providence. Oh, um, nice, it was, nice. yeah, it was, the, it was the nine points. It was the 2008, 9.7 WXIN rock hunt. Um, yeah. and yeah. And, um, and so I booked it and I remember, Do you remember was, who was a part of that show. By chance, um, the, the band that won it was Saturday at nine. They were a ska punk band. Um, cool. yeah, I, remember, I remember like we had like, it was right. It was right in the dawn of like the ska punk era of Providence where you had so many different ska punk bands. Yeah. Type of punk bands that are leaning towards that style so we had a bunch of different ska bands play it was actually pretty cool um yeah so i so i booked that for three years in a row um for um from 2008 to 2010 as the mm-hmm. alternative rock director and that's how i got involved with the local scene we would have mm-hmm. we would either have musicians random musicians come and stop by i was going to school with people in the scene like Roz raskin and casey from the rice casey belial from the rice cakes yeah uh, and a few other people like that like it's like musicians are going to rick and they were playing shows in the cafe and um, I would just become friends with them. And mm-hmm. if they were putting out an EP or something they had on MySpace, like give me some of the tracks. I'll make, I'll, I'll we'll put them in our local library because that was like yeah. part of my responsibility as an alternative rock director was that build up our local library. By the time I started there, we had less than 20 CDs of local bands. By the time I left that job, we had 75 CDs. Um, that was like a big thing. Like I, yeah. I did. yeah, yeah. Like, and, and like, it was a really fun time to me. It was still the best job I've ever had in my life. I only got paid like $125 a month for it, but it was, it's a lot of fun. It got opened yeah. a lot of doors for me. It got me connected with a lot of different like music promotion companies and labels that I still talk to this day when it comes to doing interviews with people. Like I, yeah. I, I got to fine tune my interview skills 
through like being part of the radio yeah. station there. You know, yeah. like just that's getting how hours behind the mic, basically. Yeah, that, that, that's how it all started. Um, and writing, um, the, the writing came because I was also writing for the school paper at the time, the anchor. Um, and my mm -hmm. album of the week that's currently on Medium every Wednesday that started at the anchor. Um, I started Rob's album of the week, my review column there at the anchor. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And so, yeah, and that was fun too. Um, that was a really good time. A lot like the anchor when I was there was a really quirky bunch. It was like, it was like, it was like people that really loved to write, but they were all like really nerdy in their own way where like, <laughs> where like the radio station had like the little bit of the shock jock vibe to it. Like, really? people, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like people had like, you know, they had more, more, more of that vibe. So it was definitely had, and we all shared the same building. So it was like, kind of had like, kind of had like polar opposites where you had <laughs> the nerds and the jocks in the same building. Um, yeah. But like one was a radio station, one was a newspaper. And so um, yeah. that's how I got, I got to Providence and fell in love with the city and the state yeah. because of my experience at Rhode Island College. I, yeah. I owe, I owe WXIN and the anchor a whole lot for what I do. That's for cool. But yeah, with regard to the radio station, you remember some of the bands that were crossing your path or some of the like local bands, Rhode Island bands that you were spinning at the time? Were there anyone oh, yeah. that were, like working your ears up? Like, oh who, yeah, like were, rice, rice, rice cakes, vulgarity, um, the Jesse Minute, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like who else? Who else at that time? Let me think here. Oh man, there are so many different ones. Um, Bubblegum Villains were a pop punk band. Pop punk band. That we used to have a lot. Um, yeah, they were pretty cool dudes. I don't uh -huh. know what's happened to any of them. Um, the Indiana Handshake. Uh, they were another band that we had that we played a lot. That like one of one of our rock hunts, and they were really really good, really cool yeah. rock trio. Um, let me think. Stalemate was another one, another band. Like bands are not really around anymore, sadly. But um, but at the same time, it was a different. Like during that time in the late two thousands, it was different. It was a different scene. But it was also one that you can romanticize about because a lot of things, because you saw a lot of people finding their own way to some really okay. great things. It's like bands like the Rice Cakes and like the Low Anthem and like the Deer Take put out War Elephant at that time that was really blowing up. So you mm -hmm. had like these bands that became pretty big starting out on their own at that time. So mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see um, like that, that like, that like birth of it, that nurturing of it before they really set out to go on tours and do these bigger things. So yeah, it was a special yeah. time at that time, you know, to see the origins of certain projects of certain bands. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, like for like other bands we had on like, like for the love of Sloan that they're kind of around, but they haven't been able to do anything in a while. I know like they're all like up to their own projects and that the members of that band. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are like the, definitely the local ones that really come to mind. But, yeah. yeah. And like, what was your day in the life of Rob as a, director there like were you uh hitting certain clubs like were you kind of um, getting around just to i was going to firehouse 13 a lot in the spot yeah. i was smoking a lot of weed um <laughs> i was smoking a lot of weed so there. what that that means that you don't really remember where that... <laughs> I, I remember some of it i remember some of it yeah. i was smoking a lot of weed during that time um, but yeah I'm, like, I'm i'm gonna be completely honest about that i was smoking a lot of pot um but uh it's tw it's 20 mm -hmm. um this is when the lupos was at the strand this is, this is also before like dust opened up and this, yeah. was, this is also before like the Met opened up. So like, yeah. Was, or re reopened up after. Yeah. 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 The, the Met came to Pawtucket. So like, this wasn't even yeah. the Blackstone was in that building. Like I went, I went to see a show there. Um, the news cafe was first starting having to have live music during that time. Um, mm -hmm. So, so uh, like, so you had, 
So, yeah, yeah, it was a different scene because it, there weren't as many venues as there are now. Like, Jerky's was around. I remember going to see yeah. shows at Jerky's a lot and being bands backstage at Club Hell. Um, yeah. You know, like, those, those are definitely the places I would hit up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> was like your next step into to journalism well um after i left rick um my first ever paid writing gig be um it was actually breakthrough radio um, they're based in new york city and they were okay paying, yeah they got it through a friend of mine and um this was actually during my last like t- my last semester at rick uh, but then summer classes i had to take some summer classes so i had to kind of back out of it because i had to finish up my summer classes because you were smoking all the weed so. no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Most had to do with no. Most had to do with being busy with summer classes. Yeah, I, get it. <laughs> I was also working out for WHAY at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cool. so as, as a street teamer, and there, and at the same time being a board operator. So, so, um, so I was already busy with a lot of stuff. So I couldn't really handle that writing gig at the, at the time. Um, and and yeah. then, like, uh, then like a year and a half, and then like a year later, I ended up joining up with Go Local Prov. Um, that was like my first paid local writing gig, writing for mm-hmm. them. Um, I wrote for them for a couple of years. Um, I was part of the internet radio station 990 WBOB. That didn't pay, but I was part of it for a couple of years. Yeah, I loved what were you doing with them? Um, I was writing for I was writing my all the week for their blog page. I was doing a radio show there called Under the Radar, um, and I was doing the same thing I was doing in my college radio station, interviewing people, you know, having bands play live in the studio, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, and so and with um and with Google Prov, I was doing interviews and stuff too, but I was mostly reviewing shows. That's what they oh. wanted me to do. They wanted me to review stuff. And so then I left them. Um, I left those two organizations in, in um, the spring of 2014. And I joined up with Vanyaland in Boston. Um, I was covering a little bit of Providence stuff for them, but mostly there was a, they're a Boston centric publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I joined up with Motif Magazine. Um, and then the following year, um, I, I joined, I got a job being a board operator where I am now at 103.7 WEI, the sports radio station. Yeah, um, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been it's been a great job there. Um, it's been really fun. I got to get one of my old XIN buddies, Joe Passarelli, a job there a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've been there for five years. It's really interesting. It's it's the longest job I've ever had in my entire life. I have great bosses, great coworkers. It's a yeah. really it's a really good gig. It's really it's a simple gig, but you just got to keep you can't pay attention to when mm-hmm. the breaks come up and pay attention to the game. So when the third, you know, when the third out was made, you have to get ready to play that break. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, so I've been, so that's when I got that job. Um, and then um, 2017, I left Vanyaland on mutual, on, on a mutual agreement um, 
pretty much I was 2016 was a really rough year for me and it affected my work and it affected my work for Vanyaland. Um, I have nothing like I have nothing but love for that publication. Michael Morata and Paul Armstrong are the, some of the best two two of the most professional people I know in the journalism business. Um, and but then we ended up having to have a mutual this mutual agreement to cut ties and you know me move have me move on. Um, I was writing for What's Up Rhode Island for a little while with Brian Belmore um, around that time and a few other people. And then the following year, I left Motif Magazine in 2018. And that's when, after I left Motif Magazine, things really started kicking off um, in ways that were really like surprising to me. Um, because the next month after I, like w- within a week um, of me leaving the Motif Magazine, I had all these interviews that I had recorded that I, that I was like, oh, I might as well push these without the publication. So oh, okay. Yeah. We're interested in how it all happened. So I remember interviewing Amy Helm, Levon Helm's daughter, ahead of a show she had in Knickerbocker. I was like, okay, uh-huh. let's see if I head up to South County Independent, independentri.com to see if they're bound to take it. And my friend Helena Tui, who was the editor there, her last week as, as a features editor there, she got me on board as a freelance writer for them. Um, they're based out in Wakefield. And I got that. My first interview for the independent was published for the independent was an interview with Amy Helm. So pretty oh. much that's how it started me writing for all these different publications. Um, a little, these regional publications. Like I got involved with the Providence journal cause I did an interview with, um, one, one of the guys from parquet courts, they were playing mm-hmm. a show at FET and I had, to, I had to find a way to get this interview into, into a publication that I was already planning on doing it for motif magazine. The pro Joe took it. I've been writing for them ever since I was in May of 2018. I remember yeah. like that was the craziest part about that was first off, I never ever thought I'd write for the Projo ever in my life. And second, <laughs> I just didn't. And second, when I made like when I got news on social media, when then when it shows a life event on Facebook, when like it says like you got a new job somewhere, over five hundred people liked it. It was still blows my mind that like I had yeah. a <laughs> like me a guy in this freelance gig. Yeah. Um but yeah, like so so that's how it really kicked off when like going from this progression to like really getting people offering me gigs rather than me having to seek them out. Um, yeah, yeah. So like, that's how I got to where I am today, where I'm writing for over ten different publications, regionally and nationally and internationally. And yeah, it's how it's how it all happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got like on the lists, you know. I mean, locally, you've got, you know, some of the big ones, Providence Journal. You know, do some stuff with Pawtucket Times and the Call. Um, but yeah, beyond that, you're just started with Alternative Press, correct? Yeah. And yeah, you've done stuff for Brooklyn Vegan. Dig Boston, yeah. New Noise, yeah. Take Magazine, you know, yeah. like, it's yeah. a pretty incredible list of uh, the heavy hitters, you know, and yeah. a good Rhode Island term. You've, you know. <laughs> Rest in peace, Take Magazine, by the way. They're not yeah. around. Rest in peace. They were they were cool to write for. They had good content, you know. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was yeah. such a cool magazine. Um, no, it's, it's, it's uh, great to see. So you're saying that, like, you just kind of would – um, reach out to them. You'd have these interviews and pitch it to them, and, and yeah, they would find a pretty spot much. for you. And yeah, now, 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 it's, now it's at the point where I just like, where now, like, either like some of the publications to write for, let me just write whatever I want want to write for them mm-hmm. on each week, and they just like, let let them know what I'm writing, so it doesn't conflict with anything, and yeah. it usually doesn't. And there's some others that I just I just pitch yeah. and see what they take. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, because every publication works differently because every publication is under either some under some corporate umbrella or they're owned by some parent company. So you have like everybody operates in a different way. Everybody, yeah. everybody pays people in a different way. Yeah. Uh, what are some memorable interviews that you've done? The first time I interviewed Tanya Donnelly mm-hmm. um, from Belly and the music, Throwing Muses and yeah. uh, the Breeders was really great because – 
she just went into it as a conversation and it was a really like it's like it's like if you have an interview that has a very good flow where mm-hmm. the person is interacting with you and so forth and yeah. like there is just a really good it amounts to just having it as a really good conversation rather than this being a q a q a q a it's it makes it that much more enjoyable um and it puts you in a different headspace um and when i interviewed a few years ago for motif magazine um tanya donnelly was playing a show at the salvation cafe on broadway mm-hmm. in newport and she was awesome she was fantastic and i interviewed her again for this album release she's having on friday with the parkinson sisters um and it's going to be they're doing a few listening parties for it um cool. yeah like ted leo another great another great guy to talk to he lives in wakefield now He's yeah i yeah. want to talk to um henry rollins really mellow guy who just knew a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. i talked to him ahead of a spoken word performance he had at um at lupo's back in like 2012 wayne mm-hmm. coin from the flaming lips i interviewed him for the projo a couple years ago that guy could talk he he liked to talk really, <laughs> really kind dude really mellow yeah. dude but he could just talk a lot about we talked about how like the hottest show he ever played in his entire life was flaming lips at the at, the, at lupo's in 2010 um during oh, really in july he said that it will always be the hottest show he's ever played in his entire life um yeah why what was that i mean i guess people can go and try to find the the interview uh, yeah, the article yeah, but was yeah. it just the it was packed the yeah he said it was richly but didn't want to turn the ac on or something yeah, like that yeah, <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess so but he said that yeah it was packed full of people and he said that and he said like after after the show him and the band were completely drenched and wow. it, to this day, still, uh, he said in that interview because it was because it was their first time coming back to Lupo's since since uh, the Strand since that happened. Yeah, the last show. So I talked to him about it, like, hey, and he and he brought he brought it up and like how hot it was. Yeah, and it was, yeah, and so like so it's like him being him and the band being completely drenched. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it, it's it's, it's like cool. you you just be surprised by how many of these people like they're famous, you know, like John Cleese from Monty Python, hilarious. A really funny guy. I got a, I got a <laughs> yeah. voicemail from him on my phone. Like, like, you know, <laughs> like I want to keep this one, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have it on my phone. But he's a really yeah. cool guy. Really nice. Really honest. Really blunt, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, like, you know, it's, he's one of those guys where what you hear is what you get. What you see is what you get with John Cleese. Um, yeah. But he's another great guy. Like, it's, that's what people got to keep in mind with celebrities is that, like, they're just like you and me. They just have a career where they kind of lucked out, where they became famous for whatever they're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, but the, but they also try to keep themselves grounded because there's also people in the industry, either in media or in showbiz or whatever, that there are assholes out there. But they also are really good at te- teaching most people how not to. Yeah. Do. What is your interview preparation process like um, as you're set up for these uh like, well i always, kind of walk through that i always try to do my homework like you know because like 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 what I, I always tell people like i don't i i i i read interviews before and i hate the hack ones i hate when they ask like the stupidest questions like i remember like one guy i remember like one guy who used to be a writer said well you know that band cracker you yeah know, like yeah yeah yeah, he was like he told me like yeah dude i tried to interview one of the guys from cracker and then i brought up this question about how he feels with taylor swift and he hung up on hung up on me it's like why the hell would you ask the guy from cracker about taylor swift how does he (laughs) yeah about that it's like no so you gotta keep it relevant you gotta keep it relevant you also gotta do certain do this don't be afraid to do some homework like wikipedia pages are really great resources for local musicians um yeah there's always little things about their life that you can find either today or either it's going on right now in their career or something they or something they did years ago or how they how they were brought up 
you can go through any, you can go through so many details about some musicians' lives and, mm -hmm. and they'll be more than happy to talk about it. Um, and so that's what I always try to do. I try to do my homework and try to either like, I'll, I'll go on the Wikipedia page. I'll look up their artist bio on their website, mm -hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. Like I also will look up other interviews because I don't want to be that guy that asked the same question that they were just asked a week ago. Um, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I try to be a little inventive about certain things. Yeah. I remember like I interviewed like I interviewed Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat uh, when when he was playing with his wife Amy Farina, age twenty a few years. Oh, the, ago. the evens. Yeah, the evens. Yeah. yeah. And I interviewed awesome. him. I interviewed him. Yeah, he was he was cool. And um, I interviewed him um after the show. And I had, at one point he was like, "Man, you're asking really strange questions." I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing that on purpose. I don't want you to have you. To, I don't want to ask you the same, same, same <laughs> yeah. things." But like, yeah, you can't ask all questions. You gotta be able to like think, like really become inventive with what you're gonna ask somebody. You know yeah. that, that that make them think to make to, yeah. to open up a, por a portal in their mind a little bit. So because that's when they get to really talk. That's when you get them talking. Is when you really get them to think about their answer. And you know that's when you or either that or something that they're really interested about their part. Either they're really proud of a part of their life or mm -hmm. something they had or something they did um, while growing up or uh, how they were raised or mm -hmm. say if they're a music. Say if their parents are musicians, like you talk about their parents and they'll go off on a, on a tangent about that. Yeah. So it's do you usually about, have like a certain focus that you're aiming for or and guided, or do you let them kind of go with it or like is the journal or you know any of these other publications saying we want you to talk to musician x and we're looking for a piece on the new record or for this tour you know or, or no, like it there's happens, it happens sometimes like like for like i've had more like, organic I, what comes out is what comes out yeah that. i've had i've had editors like i've had editors like ask me like hey rob we got this person you're interested in talking to them and it's like mm -hmm. most of the time it's like yeah sure why not and so mm -hmm. and so um and but they'll ask me like sometimes like say like for example Hannibal Burris um is a good example I interviewed Hannibal Burris um last year before he was doing a last minute like show at the Strand mm -hmm. and a lot of people know about Hannibal Burris because he called out Bill Cosby um and so like and so like I just like had to ask him because I knew that my editor was gonna at, tell me hey what did he say about Bill Cosby how does it feel about the Me Too movement how does it uh -huh. how does it feel about his role in it and uh, when I asked him like and when I asked him about it he was like I don't want to talk about that shit man I don't want to talk about that stuff yeah like, like, you know you know it's it I did it you know I know I I know my role in it it's but I want to talk about what I'm doing now rather than what something I did two years ago and I and I said okay I go okay I completely understand I'm sorry for asking I was like it's all good it's all good it's, want to let you know and that's i i told my editor after i started the article i told my editor exactly that like i said yeah. like you want to talk about it and so um and so in the article and in, in the projo it says like we asked we asked um hannibal about his role in the bill cosby yeah. thing and he and didn't want to talk about yeah, it yeah he declined but, the answer or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah declined yeah. the answer yeah so like so so like you know there's stuff like that that i dealt with like mm -hmm. that or like you know either either the editor was like oh yeah try to go with this like try to go with this route it doesn't happen a lot well, it happens sometimes, and usually mm -hmm. I just try to go about it the best way I can. You know? Yeah. Are you still booking a lot of your interviews, or is a lot of stuff being? Oh, every ninety-five percent of my interviews throughout my whole career, I've done myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, but, well, I've had to give you a percentage between like eighty-five and ninety-five percent all me. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's. I mean, it's easy to do it if you have if if you have if you have. It's easy to do it. Um, it's it's all about like like I would say in my career. 75% of the time you're going to be able to see on their kind of musicians or a band's contact page, who their publicist is mm -hmm. or who the manager is, or even who the booking agent is. 
Um, and so usually I always like, will send the email out to the manager and publicist. And like, if, it, you know, if I, if I'm not able to find them, but I'm still able to find the booking agent, I'll, I'll hit up them and tell them, Hey, I know you only handle their booking, but if you can forward me to their publicist, I'd be really appreciated. Yeah. And usually it happens. And usually they have no problem with doing that. Yeah. Um, then but you're some, kind of doing them a favor, you know, like, yeah, was, yeah. like it, rather than the, you know, the publicist gets to look like a hot shot. Like I just got an interview with this, you know, local yeah. paper when you're coming in on tour and, you know, they didn't actually even have to send the email. They just had to reply, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the, some of the bigger ones are harder to get in touch with. Um, yeah. Like, um, like, you know, like, like either like, for example, like when I've done interviews through the PPAC, Caitlin DePompo, who's an amazing lady, she handles a PR there. Um, yeah. she, uh, she, uh, um, she will usually will she usually sends me stuff opportunities like that's cool. like, for example like interviewing Lewis Black for ahead of his performance at a PPAC a couple of years ago was one yeah. of the coolest things ever because she helped make that happen. Um, yeah. And so so it happens sometimes, but like usually when I'm trying to find somebody big, usually how it goes is that I'll go on like fanmail.biz where you can find their their like their agency contact information and usually okay. have, usually have to give them a phone call and say hey I'm so and so from so and so and I'll interview so and so. And mm -hmm. they'll will they either will connect you straight to the publicist or they'll ask for your information and your mm -hmm. email and you'll sometimes you'll get a response back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all, I mean, but most of the time you'll be able to find like the publicist or the manager of somebody in their contact page in their website. Mm -hmm. That's how you should go about it. But yeah. Cool. My next question is, uh, how do you feel about Taylor Swift? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> See, I heard one. It's a mandatory question with interviews, right? You need I, I, to ask everyone yeah. about what they feel about Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no. And so, uh, actually, she's a Rhode Islander-ish, right? So, yeah, like, you know. yeah, Watch Hill, right? But yeah, no, her new. Actually, her, I heard like one song of her new record. She did. She did a song with. She did a record with one of the guys from the National and and one of the guys from Bleachers. I've got the yeah. guy from Bleachers, and I heard one song of it. It's actually not that bad. I'm not the biggest fan of pop music, but it's not that bad. Yeah. yeah. What do you listen to? Like, what is the stuff that, um, that you really kind of connect with? Uh, so, like, I try to be as like I always will t tell people in my profession. I always try to be as diverse as I can. Mm -hmm. um, as as a, like I don't like I never want to be that guy that is like the garage rock guy or the hip hop guy or the jazz guy or like the folk guy. <laughs> um, I don't want to be just like a guy that grinds himself to one type of music. I mean, I was a I was a in my early teens I was a freaking metalhead. I loved Metallica and Iron Maiden and Megadeth. Yeah. Um, and, and Black Sabbath. And then I fell into beloved blues music through like George Thurgood and Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy. Um, so yeah. I've always been a big blues fan. Um, I love punk rock music. I love like the Ramones. I love the Stooges. Um, I love the Clash. I love, um, I love yeah. like 80s alternative rock with Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado and The Replacements and Husker Du. Um, I like a lot of hip hop. I love like Most Def and Paul Coley and a tribe called Quest, and I don't like some new. I even like some newer hip hop, with like you know, like Jesse the Tree. You know him; he's my favorite rapper in Providence right now. Yeah, um, yeah. Who are some of the other like Rhode Island acts that, that you really? Sage like? Francis is awesome. B Doan is awesome. I love Tolan the Stooligans. I love Bocek. Um, I love um, who else? I love I love like I love Atlantic Thrills. I love Consuelo's Revenge. I love the Quahogs. I love the Silks. What's one thing about this area, man? And you can totally agree with me on this. We're freaking spoiled with how many. Yeah, badass like freaking artists and bands we got, man. It's yeah. I always tell my friends from Connecticut, like, dude, 
if I just show, I can name you 50 bands and like 50 musical acts that I know here that will blow your freaking mind. How many, yeah. how, and you can't say, like, how can you say that about a place like, like Providence where we still have less than 200,000 people living here, but yet we have a scene that rivals New York City and Boston. How the yeah. fuck does that work? Uh, but, <laughs> but it's just crazy how like spoiled we are. Like, I mean, I love like, I mean, but I love like, I love a lot of, jazz. like my favorite festival was Newport Jazz Festival. I love Newport Jazz Fest. I love, yeah. Folk Fest is fun. Well, Newport Jazz Fest is where it's at. That is fun, man. Like a couple of years ago, I got to see P-Funk and Living Color play on, play on the same day. And how cool was that? It was amazing. Um, <laughs> like, it, was, it was amazing. Like, it was, like I, had to see, I got to see like Sons of Kemet play there last year. This really cool yeah. jazz group from London. And they're incredible. They're like, their saxophones and their rhythms are just insane. Um, I had to see Go Go Penguin play there. A really great, um, a really great jazz trio from Manchester, England. So, like, I love, I love jazz music. I, like, I, I, like, I got into jazz music a lot when I was in college. Um, going to Rick and either if you had a radio station, if you have anybody who you're friends with in the musical department, you're gonna hear some jazz sooner or later because mm-hmm. like jazz is a huge deal at Rhode Island College's music department. Um, I took history of jazz there, um, with Bob Kane, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. Um really cool course so i've been a bit, i've been always been a big fan of jazz music so i always try to have like a wide palette of of music Yeah, well, I also want to get into uh, you're the owner and booker of Top Five Fiend. Uh, can you, talk you pronounce about it right? Yes. Yeah. Some people, <laughs> some people don't top, pronounce it right. Yeah. Some people say Top Five Friend. Top, oh, I, yeah. I had to put out a public service announcement because it was getting so bad on the page. Where I was like, no, oh, we're right? not top, yeah, we're, we're not Top Five Friend. We're not Top Five Fiends. We're not Top Five Fries. We're top five. <laughs> but yeah, 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 top but, five that's, fiends, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's my thing. I mean, pretty much how I started that was like initially I was kind of like it was. I mean, top five fiend is me. Like it's like it's not like it's it's me and like I've had like numerous friends like make flyers for shows, which mm-hmm. I always like, like to work with artists in that sense. So like they can make a flyer for a show I I booked and like you know some some of them like like be, like Ken Sisson, who is an amazing artist, has made some really badass flyers for me. And a few other people like Jordan Serino and Joe Lou and a bunch of other people are great with it. Um, yeah. So, but top five fiend is me. Um, and so it's just me like, like pretty much as an outlet for me booking shows and having my ideas for shows and what can go together for different types of events under that name. I was really, I was initially like not, I was initially like not, um, I was hesitant, the best way to put it. Um, when I, when I first had the name, because like I, I, when I first started booking shows, it was just me. And I wouldn't have my name in the flyer or anything. It wasn't like Robbie Gay Presents or anything. It was just, you know, it was just me booking a show and come out to the show and see some bands. Yeah. And, and then, like, I saw these, like, companies popping up. 
And like these, and so these, these quote, like, I don't call a top five feet a company. I call it an organization because I don't do it to make money. Um, mm-hmm. I just do it to book shows and support the scene around here. But yep. there are companies that have a bad rap around here for being pay to play. And I'm very much against pay to play. I think pay to play is a horrible thing. Well, I, I believe that one of the good things about this current pandemic we're all in is all the pay to play guys are going broke because there's no live music. <laughs> So they don't yeah. have any, so they don't have any they don't have any pre-sale money to 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 reap off of teenage bands, um, which I think is so messed up. So, but then I figured like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can come up with a name and be an agent for change, and you know, be something where like I show different young bands where hey, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to sell pre-sale tickets. You just come and play a show and tell your friends about it. Have them yeah. pay the cover, and I'll pay at the end of the night, whatever is whatever is at the end of the night. And you know, and it's been going pretty well that way. Um, but so like top so for the name and the name comes from I, I'm a big high fidelity fan the movie it's one of yeah. my favorite movies of all time and for anyone who's seen the movie there's always it's like scenes where they do a top five list top yeah. five like top five like you know first tracks of the albums and stuff like that so I I probably put top five in it and then fiend is this a is a name is this a part of it that distinguishes itself so it doesn't sound too cliche um uh-huh. I saw it, it sound cool that's how it all started. Um, that's yeah. how things started for me, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you've done so many shows, but like, can you give people an idea of some of the some of the shows that you put together and uh, some of the bands um, you're like working with? Um, I would say like shows that really like stand out to me that I booked. Um, I would say one show that I booked in 2018 that really stood out um, was at Machines and Magnets, Pawtucket. Um, it was a senior, senior Benedict the Moore, who was a rapper from, from uh, California. He was coming through on tour and I put the show with him, uh, Jesse, Jesse and the tree people, Jesse, Jesse, the tree, uh, the funk underground and son of sound. So pretty much I had like a, like four, three hip hop bands and a rapper with a, with a, with like a DJ and like a beat and like a beat pad type of thing. Cool. And it was a really cool show. Um, it was a really cool show. And, um, ha, um, Hashish Fias who's a bass player for Thievery Corporation, which is a band from, the, from Washington, D.C., comes yeah. in and rolls through with Mr. Liff, who's a Boston hip-hop legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. and he, they're all hanging out there, and Chris Ryan from Deer Tick's hanging out there, too. So, like, it was kind of like a little bit like a star-studded night of, like, <laughs> for a hip-hop show. People just chilling out, having a blast. But that was one of the favorite shows I ever booked. Um, mm-hmm. one, of the t- one of the one I did I'm pretty proud of is um, I did an art gallery showing at Pop, um, which yep. is a, yeah, which is a, uh, the vintage shop on 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 um on right near the Coca Cola factory in Providence, yeah. mm-hmm. and um and I did a thing called Get to the Gig, where I had a bunch of local people that make flyers post flyers up in a gallery, and um I had uh, Ty from Booth City perform, um and um I forgot who else performed, um but Ted Leo headlined, and so oh. um yeah so I brought a lot we had like over a hundred people in this room over there hanging out enjoying the show yeah that was a really good that was an idea that i bumped off of darren hill um that had to be yeah back in 2018 that was really really cool um yeah like you know like like i would say like my experience in booking shows like there's been some dead ones there's been some really good ones there's been some ones in between i think if you book shows for a while you will get that like not every show is going to be perfect um yeah and, and so it's pretty much like do it the best you can and hopefully people will come out. I mean, there's some times where I book shows where I thought no one was going to show up and it's ended up being packed by the end of the night. Yeah. It's all about like, it's, so it's all about like, you know, just doing, be, being able to promote and knowing how to get the word out about shows and making sure that other people involved in the show get the word out about it too and have it be a team effort. And usually it goes well like that, but yeah, yeah. It's, 
that's what that's what I could say about my booking experiences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is your experience working with the the owners? Like, I mean, working with well, you know, like Gregory like, at the parlor or oh, John yeah. at Askew and stuff like that. Or you know, oh, like, like I haven't booked at Askew yet. Oh, um, you haven't? Okay. No, no. But I would say Rick Greg, at dusk. You know? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> booking, yeah, like booking at dusk, the parlor. Like my favorite places to book shows. My top three places are dusk, the parlor, and News Cafe. Um, mm-hmm. those, are, those are my three top places. I love those places. Yeah, um, Shoes awesome. and Madness is great too. They're great too. I love the Pump House in Wakefield. Pump mm-hmm. House Music Works is a great place. Um, yeah, yeah. Like Jimmy's in Newport was a great place to do shows at. But yeah, yeah. the top my top three favorite joints to do shows at will always be Dusk, The Parlor, and News Cafe. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. And like, what do you envision, you know, in your crystal ball of uh, music promotion? post COVID, you know, like once we can kind of, I mean, things are starting to change, you know, you're writing about drive-in shows that are starting or, um, so, you know, I'd like to just get your thoughts, um, you know, as this stuff starts to unfold, but like, what do you see in a year or two years, you know, like, um, I I do, I do, I do think that like, I'm going to be often like cautiously optimistic about this whole thing. Um, because I do think eventually we will live in a world without COVID. 19. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, a hundred years ago, we had the Spanish flu and a hundred years ago, we don't even have, we, we didn't even have half the technology we have now available in the medical fields when it comes yeah, to, yeah, yeah. and they were able to get through, they were able to get through the Spanish flu. So like, you know, so, so you have that, you got to keep that in mind um, when it comes to this whole thing. Like this isn't going to people saying, Oh, it's going to last forever. Oh, we're going to deal with the rest of our lives. Oh, it's never going to go away. And like, no, it's going to go away. Like there are people working their butts off right now in the medical industry, trying to find a vaccine um, and trying to find a solution to this whole calamity that we're all currently in. So I think yeah. eventually might be 2021, might be 2022. I think 2022 will probably make the complete circle where like, where like everything comes to normal. I think 2021 is going to be a big transitional year. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess that's but, what I'm looking at. Like, what do you kind of see uh, for I mean, clubs or, you know, festivals? I, think, I mean, I mean my, my big thing right now for this year is I think October is going to be a crazy month. I mean, you have places like Dusk and the Pump House and, like, the Musquamica Drive-In um, and Eskew doing outdoor shows right now. Those are going to be nearly impossible to do in October um, when it comes yeah. to late October and in November because this, you're going to have the weather is not going to cooperate with you. So what are you going to do with that? Are you, are you, especially with, are the regulations going to change? We can only hope. Um, so I think, I think a lot of it's going to show during that time where things are going to stand. I personally hope that the National Independent Venue Association gets their mm-hmm. bill passed around that time where we yeah. actually get assistance for independent music venues so they don't yeah. close down. And that becomes like a, a, a cloud underneath these uh, businesses. So like they yeah. don't go under. Um, I think that's going to really help out a lot. But, you know, I mean, I do Which think that save our stages.com. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag save our hashtag save our stages. I'll look it up. And if you haven't signed a petition yeah. yet and reach out to your politicians, please do. Um, yeah. And so, um, but I think eventually we'll, 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 we will reach some time, some type of normal. I do mm-hmm. think that we have a lot to learn from this, from this current time we're in. And I think hopefully in a couple of years, when we look back at this time, we're better off for it as a society and as a people um, in mm-hmm. both terms of health and in the social sense as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, but again, we're in the middle of this crazy time right now. So we're in the thick of it. So it's like, I, so it's all, I think, again, I think the fall is going to really, really be a big, I wouldn't say like cutting knife, but a big like situation where like, you're going to see a lot of things come to a head 
Um, yeah, okay. and, and I think it's going to matter. It's going to affect a lot of things in the next few years. But at the same time, I am relatively optimistic that we're going to have that live music will come back to some sort of normalcy, that we will have a music industry again. Um, I think also you might see people, I think one thing you're going to see is you're going to see live streaming and virtual events utilized more often in different, in different ways yeah. coming out of this. Um, now that people understand it a lot more than they're yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's not that big of a hurdle. I can, yeah. I can do this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, again, we're talking via Zoom, right? So if you're a musician who has a following, you can have charge $5 tickets to, for, to send people a Zoom link and you can watch, you watch a musician perform on Zoom for a good hour. So I think you're going to have boundaries being pushed forth with that. Um, yeah. As a, as, a, as a journalist who's been covering a lot of live streams, um, there are musicians out there that view it as a viable option, especially if you're an independent touring, touring actor musician, or say if you have a show that falls through, you can do a live stream show, put up your Venmo or PayPal link, and all of a sudden you make some money for you make some money um, via the web that you mm-hmm. that you could have got that you would have gotten to via a show, or you, you might even make more money on the web than you would have gotten the show you were going to play. So like, so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential with that that I think is going to be explored. Over the next few over the next few years of life, yeah, yeah, and really pushing the boundaries of that medium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit, uh, like looking at some of your bio that you were connected to Moose Proof Records? Is that? Oh, uh, Moose Proof Records. Wow. I haven't talked that, that. that. It's an old label. I mean, it's not really much to talk about. I haven't operated it. It was a label that me and some friends had that we yep. were going to start, um, but then it kind of fell apart with a lot of our light, light, life things getting in the way. Okay. Um, I've always thought about restarting it, but maybe not until like my, my main, probably won't be until later in the decade. Um, this is because like I've always had a dream of doing a, of running a place that was a coffee shop slash art gallery space slash music venue slash record store. Um, okay. And and naming it like either Moose Proof Records or naming it some other name. Um, yeah. But um, that's what uh, that's but that's where it all comes from. Moose Proof Records. It was something that. Me and some friends of mine were thinking about starting, and then it kind of fell apart. That's all it was. Oh, okay. Oh, so did you put anything out, or was it? Uh... We, we we were um we did we did help out with Ro- the Rice Cakes first records, the friendship. We did help help put that record out. Oh, that's awesome, though. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, and yeah, I mean, you did a, a podcast for a little bit as well, talking to some uh, on the beat. Yep. Yeah. What was uh what was that? concept about and uh, um well that was about mostly me like trying to replicate a music radio show in a podcast um okay and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah 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 and so um i got to do that out of the what's your writers club in downtown providence mm-hmm. shout, shout out to that organization they're great fantastic people um they're really great people i really enjoyed my time doing the podcast then like work got in the way and i didn't really have time to dedicate to it so that's why i stopped it um, mostly with the writing getting in the way and busy stuff with the radio station and stuff like that. Um, but it was fun. You know, I would have like guests come into the little studio they have there at the what's your writers club and doing it. Um, I thought about restarting it in a different way. Um, and a lot of it depends on things coming back to normal, but if it uh-huh. does, then you'll see some iteration of the podcast or maybe a different podcast. Um, cool. but yeah, yeah, yeah. But all depend. It's one of the projects that depend on, everything coming back to normal because it, it depends on some live music stuff, but yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Podcasts can be quite time consuming. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, awesome, man. Um, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment, like tied to music? Greatest accomplishment. Yeah. You know, what like you within think? the music realm, you know, you worked in radio and 
journalism and stuff. Yeah, let, let me let me let me think here. Um, writing for the Providence Journal would definitely be up there. I don't know. It's definitely one just because they're the biggest publication in the state. Um, mm-hmm. And to say that I write for the biggest publication in the state has a big has a bit of pride. Um, I think making it ma- making it a career. Um, it's pretty hard these days to be mm-hmm. a full time journalist um, and to do stuff in media when like you're not going to make a lot of money out of it. And I'd be able to get by over the past couple of years pretty well, um, surprisingly. Cool. When like, like you know. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll say it right now, eight years ago, I was homeless. So, so eight years wow. ago, yeah, yes, eight, year ago, eight years ago, I was homeless. If you told me that I would be at a point in my career now, where I am now, eight years ago, I, I would have thought you were kidding. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, so, like, you know, going from that to here, to be able to have a fulfilling career and be able to do what I do for a living, I think I'm pretty, I, that's what makes me pretty proud of it. Uh, just because I'm able Definitely. to do that's it. Awesome. Not a lot of people can say, that they're happy with their career or they, they like what they do for a living. And it's sad to say that because I wish everyone could love their job and everybody could like everyone, everyone could fulfill their dreams and everyone could do that. Um, and everyone, everyone knew what they wanted to do with their life. There's people older than us that don't know what they want to do with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be sad, you know, and I, and, and, and I, and I empathize with those people um, where mm-hmm. I've been, I'm proud of the fact where I've been able to make a career out of this and to be able to be in radio and journalism and be able to pay my bills and be able to pay my rent and be able to, you know, live fairly independently. I think that's probably what I'm most proud of. Yeah. That's cool, man. Thanks so much, Rob. No problem, James. It's It's been a pleasure to be on.